All right, well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're here with us today. We are continuing a sermon series called Best Summer Ever. Everybody say that with me. Say, Best Summer Ever. Yeah, because I want to have a better summer than I did last summer. Doesn't mean last summer wasn't good. I just want to have a better one. And so we're going to have the best summer ever. Talk about how to live your life to the fullest. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. Hey, on behalf of our staff, my wife and I, I'm the, my name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here. And all of our staff, all of our leaders that came in early to help you help set up so you can have a great church today. We're so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us for the very first time. Hey, if you are a guest, church, will you help me welcome our guests? Just give them a hand clap. Just say you're so welcome. So happy that you're here, and uh, you need to know this. We created church for you. Yeah, for you, we did. We, we designed this whole service so that you can feel comfortable and feel like, hey, maybe you can find some spiritual family. I always invite our guests to come at least three times, and here's why. I've noticed that if you go to any place, you really don't get the idea of what it looks like or feels like the first time. It just doesn't happen. It's hard to do that, and so uh, our job really as a church is to uh, give you Jesus in a way that maybe makes sense to you, and so we hope that after three times, you can get a good sense of our church, and our hope is that you find spiritual family here. If you're also on uh, social media right now, if you can check in on Facebook, let people know you're at church, say, hey, while you're at the lake, I'm at church getting Jesus, and so um, you know, you're going to have a good time. Just make sure you check in. Can I do that in church? Yes, you can. Also want to welcome all those listening to us on our podcast. We have hundreds and hundreds of people listen to our podcast that don't even go here, y'all. Like, isn't that kind of cool? Kind of neat to know that we have like just a maybe a reach outside of these four walls and uh, just exciting to be a part of our spiritual family today. Daniel chapter three is where we're going to be. Uh, in verse one, if you don't have it, we're going to put it up on the screens. If you didn't bring your Bibles, uh, also we're going to put it on our we put it on our U Version Bible app. You can download the it's called U Version or it's the Bible app and search events. And we give you our my notes ahead of time. So for those of you who like to kind of look at the back of the book and see where I'm going to go, that's for you. So you're you're welcome. So anyway, Daniel chapter three is kind of where we're going to be at um, today. We're going to talk about a, probably a pretty famous story inside Scripture. Uh, it's about King Nebuchadnezzar and uh, really what we three kind of main characters: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of y'all ever heard that story about when they're thrown in the fiery furnace? We're going to open up Scripture today and learn a little bit about that. And I'm going to teach it in a way that may be a little unique, maybe a different angle that you haven't heard of it. And uh, one of the reasons I love this story is because I have kids, and most of the time when I heard the story, I heard it from VeggieTales. Have y'all, 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 have, has anybody heard of VeggieTales in here? Raise your hand if you have heard, you have been tortured by VeggieTales. Okay, and uh, they have this song, and if you've heard it, y'all don't leave me up here, okay? But the song is fun, and the song goes like this, and it's King Nebuchadnezzar when they throw them in the fire furnace, but it's all about a bunny, and hey, they, the song goes like this, the bunny, the bunny, oh, there you go, yeah, so those are the people who are tortured like me, and so anyway... <laughs> We're going to go into Daniel chapter 3. Before we do that, I want to give you some context of kind of what's happening in Daniel chapter 3. So the, the nation of Israel was told by God, say, hey, if you don't honor me, and if you don't lift me up, and you stop worshiping idols, like I'm telling you, if you don't stop this, I'm going to allow a nation to come in and take over you, and you're not going to like it. And you know what the children of Israel did? They didn't do that. They didn't listen. And so what happened is, is the Babylonian Empire comes in with King Nebuchadnezzar. They come in and take over this nation of Israel. And, and, and what was interesting about the, the Babylonian Empire, it was the king was the, of the Babylonians was Nebuchadnezzar, and their god was Marduk. And so he comes in with his religion and his nation and his way of doing things, but he did something unique. He was a brilliant king historically because what he would do is he would go into a nation, and when he would conquer them, normal kings would go in and just flat out destroy them. And 
then just move on. He wouldn't do that. He would go in. He would take, uh, first he would destroy all of their religious areas and all their political areas. So to kind of destroy their government, destroy their religion. Then what he would do is he'd pick their best and brightest. And then he would actually take them bring them into the Babylonian empire, and he would indoctrinate them into their culture. So his kingdom over time became the best and the brightest of all the world. So the reason the Babylonians were so amazing, think about this. It was like the all-star team in the NBA all the time going around and playing games. Like they, they took the best and the brightest from every culture. And in the nation of Israel, the best and the brightest, some of the best and the brightest were four people in this character, in this time frame, and especially in this uh, story. They took four that we're going to learn about today. And, and one was Daniel. Now, Daniel, the guy the book was written after. So Daniel, that Daniel, that was one. Uh, the other three were um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so that's their actual Babylonian name. So that's not their given name. That was the name that was given to them by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so we pick it up in Daniel chapter 3 when they actually are starting to figure out now they're going to be indoctrinated and now have they have a choice. This, this is going to be so good. Y'all ready with me? Okay, y'all there? Y'all get it? Okay, we're, we're all together. All right. Daniel chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Now, the reason, stop, pause just real quick. The reason it says image of gold, it doesn't say what it actually was. is because your idol is different from my idol, the idol, and their idol is different from our idols. At the end of the day, idols are something that is, are propped up by man to be God that can't be God, that promise you something it can't deliver. And the reason that I think the Bible doesn't set up what image it was is because your idol is different than mine. And we got to be careful. All right, verse 5, and he goes, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, bagpipe and every kind of music when the, when you hit play on Spotify you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up it goes on to say but if you do not worship we're going to jump to 15 I'm kind of summarizing the story just cuz otherwise we'd be here forever and we just read bible and so but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into the fiery burning fiery furnace I always thought that was funny like why did the bible say it was burning fiery furnace I just assumed if it was a fiery furnace it would be burning. Okay, so, and then, um, it's just stuff I think about when I read the Bible. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That's so good. We're going to come back to that. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, King, look, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You ain't nobody. We, we ain't going to talk about this. And he said, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. There it is, burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. He said, our God's got this. Don't worry. But if not... This is, this is important. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will still not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. He goes on to say, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the fiery furnace to he heated seven times more, more than it usually was heated, which I'm just like, seven times more heat. I mean, you would just, fire at some point is fire. So if you throw someone in fire, they're just eventually it just is what it is. But he wanted to make a point, apparently. And these men were thrown bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. There it is again. I'm a little weird about that. And so, and then these three men fell bound into the fiery furnace. So then they fell, they actually fell into it and did. And then this is the King Nebuchadnezzar says this interesting statement. It's kind of funny. He goes, didn't I, didn't we, didn't, I don't understand. I thought I told you to throw those three no more into the fiery furnace. And now they say, said, that's true. Yeah, yeah we, we did. We did what you asked. And he said, but, but I see four. Everybody say four. So I don't understand. There's three. We threw three. Now there's four men unbound, walking 
in the midst of the fire, and they're not even hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, pause real quick. This is what some scholars believe would be called a what's called a Christophany, which means it's a, a, a version or a representation of Christ before they talk about Christ, the Christ coming. That's important. We'll come back to that. And he said, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. I love that. They just came out of the fire. And the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. And they walked out singing, the bunny. The bunny. Oh, I love the bunny. Uh, With that as our backdrop today, I'm going to give you the title of our message today is, I'm an adult. I'm an adult. So if you're taking notes, write that down and we're going to pray. Father, we love you, God. Thank you that you sent Jesus, that we're here because of Jesus, that we worship the name of Jesus, that this is a church about Jesus, and that ultimately, God, your Holy Spirit would speak to us in this time, and that this wouldn't be just a cool talk, that this wouldn't be just a moment where we'd get together, but this would be a place of transformation in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Hey, how many of y'all played high school sports when you were younger? Raise your hand. You played high school sports. All right. All right. Let's just get a little poll. How many of y'all played football? Raise your hand. Football. All right. Come on. Football. Yeah. You want to hit somebody. Okay. Uh, baseball. Raise your hand. If you want to play baseball, high school sports. Softball. Ladies. Come on. Softball. We got some softball out there. All right. And we, somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, we're going to do a softball team for, for, for the church. I said, sure. I mean, I don't know. I won't be there because I've never seen pastors do well in church softball leagues. You know what I'm saying? It's like the fastest way to shrink a church is to put the pastor on a softball team. And so, um, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, well, volleyball in here. Anybody, high school volleyball, okay. I wrestled. Anybody wrestle in high school? Anybody wrestle like me? Okay, awesome. So I was chunky, and at that point, you're just kind of like, well, I guess I'm going to do a sport. I can just do the one where I can lay on somebody, you know? And so <laughs> I win easy. And so I, I, mean, I was a wrestler in high school, and my coach, my coach was uh, he was one of those really burly, manly, coach-like guys. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you're going to cast a coach in a movie, you'd want my coach. Because he was, had that whistle all the time. He had the hat. He had the short gym shorts. Come on, y'all. You remember that? Did anybody have that guy? Because he had the short gym shorts, and it's way too much. And, and he, was, he would get in, and he had these statements. You know, he would say these crazy things. He'd say stuff like, uh, I'm gonna, uh, they're so cliché. That you know what I'm going to say, and I'll prove it to you, all right? This was his statement. He would say, there's no I in, yeah, so you know it. This is a cliche. So he said, there's no I in team. Another one he used to say was, it's, it's not whether you win or lose. It's what? It's, yeah, it's how you play the game. You know who says stuff like that? Losers. That's who says stuff like that. And uh, I didn't understand it. He said, he, he come up to me like, there's no I in team, Aaron. I go, yeah, but there is in winning, so give me the ball, right? Like, I'm ready to go. And... Uh, the last one he used to say a lot, this is his thing, he would say, um, no pain, yeah, you know it, he would say that all the time. He said, no pain, no gain. So I'm like, okay, coach, you're just ridiculous, I'm just tired, just, you know, let's, let's just play. And so uh, one time I came to varsity wrestling, and in varsity wrestling, you don't wrestle with everyone else, you wait until the, like, C team, and then junior varsity, and then when varsity went down, it, they would happen in these big um, gymnasiums, they'd move everything, all the other mats out, there'd be one mat in the middle, they'd turn all the lights off, the light would be right in the middle, I mean, did anybody seen this before, like, they would do that, they'd have both sides, and crowd would be on each side, and in, in a wrestling match, what you do is you have weight classes, so you have, like, really light people, and then you had all the way up to the very heavy people where I was at, and so that's where I was, and so I was always at the end, but in the beginning of the match, they'd run you out, 
And you'd run out and you'd shake the hand in the middle of the spotlight. Everybody now wrestling in the 189 weight class because that's how much I weighed in high school. It was crazy. And so like, I walked out there and I ran out. Aaron Grijalva and the crowd goes wild. I'm pointing at people. And so they walk. I walk out. And then the other guy. And then they, they announced the next dude. And the only way I can describe this guy was that he looked like uh, the Russian dude on Rocky. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The, what's his name? Dra Drago? Drago? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so he walks out and I'm like, that's a man. That's a man. I'm a high school student. That's a man. And he walks out and he runs out and I'm telling you the mat started shaking and I was like, and you know when you see people from a distance that you kind of see them straight on and as he gets closer, my head just goes like, you know, just... <sighs> And my heart starts shaking, but I'm like, okay, let's go. And we get down, and we're about to shake hands, but we're not wrestling. We're just kind of shaking hands. So in my mind, I'm going to intimidate this dude. I got this dude. And I thought in that moment before he shook my hand, I said, I thought, I thought back. I thought back to my parents, and they were praying for me before the match. They said, son, you're going to do so good. Let's pray. Because if we pray, God is going to work on your behalf. I said, that sounds good. Because I need everything I can get. So I'm like, all right. So I remember back. I prayed. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I'm going to win because God is on my side. And I'm American. This dude's clearly Russian. I'm going to win. And so I'm like, okay. So I'm stick my hand out there. And I'm going to squeeze it. And I'm going to let him know you about to get some. And so he sticks his hand out. I stick my hand out. And he shakes my hand. And have you ever, when you were a kid, do you remember putting your hand in a da your dad's hand? Where it kind of disappeared? My hand was in his hand, and then all of a sudden, I tried to squeeze as hard as I possibly can. I mean, I squeezed it. And he did this that still haunts me to this day. He kind of smirked. <laughs> and he squeezed my hand. And at that moment, I remember doing this. I was like this, and I remember, and then he squeezed, and I was like, you know, you, you, when your knees buckle a little bit, and at that moment he knew he had me. And so we went to my bench, and I went back, and the coach goes, how you doing? You, doing, you feeling good? I go, no, I'm going to get beat up. I, I got to go fight Drago. Do you want to go fight? You're a man. Clearly he's a man. Let's you all to go wrestle. And so he's like, no, it's going to be okay. So the match goes on and you know, everybody plays. So it gets to my time and I'm the one vote. Like I'm the deciding winning match that if I win, we win. All right. So I'm getting pumped up and all my buddies around me and we're like, yeah, let's go. And that's what guys do. And we just were we're like hyping each other up and I'm chest bumping and I take off my clothes and we I run out and basically my underwear because that's apparently what you do when wrestling. And so I run out there and I'm ready to go. And I, I remember I remember I prayed, God, you're for me. I'm a Christian. Lord, help me right now. Jesus name. Amen. Beep. And I stick my hand out to grab him. And I remember what happened because I, I, I remember the collective sound the crowd made when my body hit the ground. And it's like when you're in a crowd and they go, <gasps> like that. So we're all gonna, I'm gonna give you exactly what it sounded like. You guys are all, this is a participatory part of the search, okay? You're all ready, you all can make sounds. Everybody has to participate with me. You have to go <gasps> on the count of three. One, two, three. That's exactly what happened. And when I woke up on the bench, my coach came up to me and he goes, Aaron, what happened? And then I said, coach, what happened? And if you have to ask your coach what happened, you didn't win, just so you all know. And he goes, well, uh, his answer to me was one statement. Well, like, no pain, no gain. <laughs> 
And I'm like, okay. And I remember thinking about that story because, you know, like I prayed. Like I'm a Christian. Like God, like I've been at church. I went to church last Sunday. I'm supposed to win. Have you ever, have you, have you ever, like me, like you look, you've been through life, you got into a situation, you prayed, you, you did all the right things that the Bible says to do, and you're so Christian, and then all of a sudden you ended up on your back? Did, did you do all the right things? They did all the wrong things, and they still won anybody else. Just me? And, and, and the interesting thing about life is that what's funny is you think, you and I think, we think, okay, so like, okay, the dream in my mind, what we want is, okay, there, we're going to live this life, and before we get married, before we get, we, we, we get saved and we come to God, we're going to have a life of trials, but then we come to God, and we find God, and God now makes us sanctified and new and holy, and now we have freedom in heaven one day, and then we feel like now we have no trials. And the problem is, is some teachers and some preachers and some churches teach that. And here's the problem with that. As soon as you do, you have a life of trials. This is what really happens. You have a life of trials because you live in this crazy world. Then you find Jesus and now your eternity is centered and ready to go. And then you leave and then now you don't. Come on. Now everything didn't work out. And then what happens is you actually wind up coming into like what we call a crisis of faith. Because you've attached your belief system on Jesus and Christianity to your life being good. And you know what? Whose fault it is? It's really not your fault. It's my fault. It's preacher's fault. It's church's fault. So I'm like apologizing on behalf of us because that's not biblical. And it could be really, really hard for those of you. Have you ever lost your job right after you committed to giving to Christ? Have you ever had that moment where you're your family, you, you, you prayed, you're like walking with God and then all of a sudden your family member gets sick? Someone gets a disease, and you look, and you're like, I, 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 thought, I thought this was, or, or, or you, you, you do a business deal that went wrong. You sunk your life savings into something that didn't work. And you're like, I, got, I, I, thought, we, I thought we talked about this. Like, I'm a Christian. I thought everything would work out. And, and I've noticed as a pastor there are a lot of people on their back. A lot of people wondering what happened. A lot of people stuck in these situations, and, and if you're not careful, it could really throw you off. So today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fires that you deal with, that I deal with, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dealt with. What does the Bible say about issues? Because what do you do when life doesn't turn out the way you thought? Like, what do you do? How do you respond? How do you, how do you deal with it? What do you do when, when your prayers weren't answered? What do you do when the guy who did the wrong way got the right thing? And you did it the right way and you got the wrong thing. I mean, come on, isn't that like a, isn't that a thing? Just me, do I feel that? Do you feel that? Like, what do you do? What does the Bible say about problems? James chapter 1 says this. Says, it's an interesting scripture. And I always, can I be honest with you as a pastor? Like, this is kind of weird. This, this is a weird verse. Because it says, James is writing in the New Testament. He writes this. He says, consider it pure joy. I'm like, I like this idea, joy, pure joy. That sounds good. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, pause, what? Wait, wait. No, consider it pure joy when you get everything you wanted and life worked out. 
That's my Bible. That's like the Aaron. That's the ASV version, the Aaron Standard Version. Didn't get canonized. But, and he says, because you know that your testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. Everybody say mature. This is important. This is the whole theme of the message. That you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So he says, like, you need to consider it pure joy when you go through stuff. Because when you go through stuff and you don't give up, you persevere. And when you persevere, you actually are mature. It matures you in Christ so that you lack nothing. He says three things to note. Not if, but when trials come. You need to know that. That something's going to happen regardless if you're a Christian. So number two, he says perseverance through problems. You need to actually persevere, not give up. Some of you have given up. I'm telling you, pick it up again. Stand back up. No, don't give up. Here's why the third thing he says, because perseverance leads to maturity. So James says it. Then Paul confirms it in Ephesians. Paul's another writer of the New Testament. He says it like this. This is interesting. He says in Ephesians, he says, so that we may no longer be what? Be yeah, children. So we're talking again. There's a theme here. You're going to catch it in just a second. There's a theme here so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves or the fires, the trials, the issues of life. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Ever say grow up. Come on, you see where I'm going here? Grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ that you and I, our job as Christians is to mature, to be a, an adult. In Christ, I'm going to do a sermon series one day just on just maturity in Jesus because it's the mature Christians that Paul speaks about, that James speaks about, that can handle. You know how you consider it joy when you have issues? You're a mature believer. The opposite is, is true. And maturity is not how much Bible you know. Because some of us in here be like, well, I'm very mature. I've been going to church forever. I know church. I know Jesus. I know religion. I've been here. I get it. I know that scripture. I have it on my wall. Hey, I have that on my Facebook post. I checked off that I was a Christian. I went social media, Facebook official. Guess what? I'm a Christian. It's not how much Bible you know. Maturity is based on how much Bible you do. And so for, for us as Christians, we have to know in our hearts, like, man, are we mature? Because at the end of the day, what Paul and James ultimately are really saying to us is they're saying the only way to determine your maturity in Christianity is how you handle problems, how you handle it when you're on your back. He says that's the only one you're going to make it. He doesn't say pray more. He doesn't say give more. He doesn't say, you know, you need to make sure that you walk around and have the Christian bumper sticker. He says you need to be mature in Christ. If you are not mature in Christ, there's no way you can consider it joy when something bad happens to you. When something doesn't work out. When the place you gave your whole life to turns their back on you. When, when your relationships, your best friend walks away. Come on. When you've been betrayed, the only way you can consider that joy is when you know inside of Christ, you're growing into Christ, maturing into Christ. That's the only way you can consider it joy. That's the only way you can make it through. And if that's the case, then, then for us, we need to know what spiritual maturity looks like. And so I'm going to give you three thoughts today as I'm kind of wrapping it up. Three thoughts today on spiritual maturity. What does spiritual maturity? This is my prayer for us as a church. Okay, if you call this home and I'm your pastor and this is your church and like I go to rise, this is this is for you. If you're a guest with us, guess what? I'm going to get them. It's going to be awesome. You can just sit back and relax. Because we need to be spiritually mature in Christ so that we can consider it pure joy when something bad happens to us. Number one is this. Spiritually mature people see fire as opportunities, not obstacles. Look at this in verse 15. This is so good. 
He says this, he says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fire furnace. And, he, and this is so crazy. Nebuchadnezzar says these statements. He says, and who is, everybody say, who is? He says, and who is this God that's going to save you? The dude that's hurting them, that's about to kill them, is literally asking them about their God. He says, and who is this God? going to help you. Who's this God you speak of that's supposed to be better than my God? Show me. King Nebuchadnezzar speaks and asks about their God. There's more at stake. My wife loves to ask me to take out the garbage in our house. I hate it. I hate to take the garbage out. Does anybody hate to take the garbage out? I mean, it's like terrible. You know, it's like, a, I can't wait till they invent the garbage can where you put it in and it disintegrates or something. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and it's kid safe because I got a lot of them and, you know, I don't need anybody losing a hand. But, like, I'm waiting for that. And and um, the other day I was sitting on the on the couch and my wife said, hey, babe, can you take the garbage out? And I'm like, Phew. and at that moment, you know, husbands, we have that moment, you know, where we go like, no, I don't want to. No one says, yes. That's what I've been waiting for you to ask me to do. Thank you. And so I'm like, okay, babe, sure. You know, I get up and I start to tie. And, 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 and I, I, in that moment, I heard God say, it's not about you. I know you see this as a, as a problem. This is not an obstacle. This is an opportunity. You, you, you could show her right now. She's, she's asking about the God you serve. She, she's... Are you, come on, Aaron, are you a Christian? Come on, are, do you, are, you, are you loving me? Do you, I, f- I find it interesting. I could tell my wife I love her, and her love language is not words of affirmation. I've just noticed that. Like, I could tell, babe, I love you, I love you, I love you. I don't think she speaks English. She doesn't hear it. <laughs> she doesn't hear it that way. You know, how she see, she know how she hears it? Her love language is acts of service. I should just walk around with the trash bag. <laughs> if I want to go on a date, like, hey, babe, what's up? <laughs> Swing it, you know, just like, hey. You know what I'm saying? Because she feels and she hears and she sees. She doesn't. She wants to see it. It's an opportunity. And so I could be an immature Christian or an immature man and go, no, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. It's an obstacle. I'm watching golf. Hello? Can't you see? I'm doing something important with my life. Or I could see it as an opportunity to show my wife I love her. I can see there's an opportunity to shout, okay, oh, oh, wait, 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 the problem isn't, this isn't only about me. And I've noticed that some people who are immature in Christ, when something bad happens to them, they sit and they sulk, and it's like, whoa, it's me. I can't believe it. They did that to me. I'm a better person than that. And they start, like, speaking in, like, a high-pitched voice where you're like, I can't understand you. And, you, and, and we can get in those moments where we're like, all of a sudden, now where everything is about you. And when everything is about you, it can't be about God. Be careful. Man, there, there's like, there, there is a, um, there's an opportunity in every problem to show the character of God. There's an opportunity in every moment you have to show the world about the God you serve. And you do it regardless, because if you sit and sulk as a Christian when something bad happens to you, all you're saying is, is there's no difference between you and them. All you're saying is, is like, man, God's not good. The only thing God's good for is his good things, is when life is good. 
But when life is bad, you get to you you have an opportunity. Nebuchadnezzar is asking, "Show me." You said you're a Christian. Show me. Show me. And I think we have an opportunity to show the world every opportunity. Every time you have an issue, every time you're on your back, you have an opportunity to show the world the God you serve. He's bigger than your problems, but he has to be bigger than your problems in your life, not theirs. They're waiting for it. There's opportunity out there. There's evangelism moments. And you don't even know this, but people are watching you. So please stop going on Facebook when something happens to you and say, I can't believe this happened. Looking for someone to comment and say, you're so, that is the worst. Sad emoji. Stop doing that. You're not, just so you know, it'll never give you what you're looking for. You know what will give you what you're looking for? God. Christian connection, friends who are around you, people you met at church, connections with people who are like-minded believers. Facebook does not have the answer. And I'm not evil on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I get it. I'm not talking. Social media is not the evil thing of the world, but used in a wrong way is bad. Don't show people. If you're a Christian, please look. If you're going through something and you crazy freak out, please don't tell people you're a Christian. That's not the way of the Christian. That's, it's not. Because those guys had an opportunity and not an obstacle. Second is this. Spiritually mature people sacrifice for the greater good. They sacrifice for the greater good. It's a mindset. He says this in, in, in the Bible. Oh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. This is good right here. He goes, he goes on to say, if this be so. So like even if it happens and it, 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 the worst happens, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He, they, they said, look, even if this stuff like happens, even if the worst happens, if it doesn't happen, there's bigger things at stake. Even if we go down, even if it happens. There's bigger things at stake. Spiritually mature people know how to lay down the needs of themselves for the benefit of the collective. Romans chapter 12 says this. I love how they say it. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This is Paul speaking to the, the city in Rome. Romans, see how they did that. The Bible's cool. Um, By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everybody say living. So I've heard pre- preachers and churches say, like, you need to die for God. No, you don't. Jesus already died for you. Death has already been taken care of. That seat's taken. You need to live for him. You need to live, be a living sacrifice, a living daily reminder to the world that you and I are with God. And that like in an issue, in a moment when something bad happens to us, we have two opportunities. We have to like, we have an option. We can go like, okay, I got to make this all about me. Or I can sacrifice for the greater good, knowing that even if this bad thing happened, God can still get the glory. That God can still do something with what I'm going through. It's, it's about seeing the bigger Picture and removing yourself from that. Have you ever taken a picture with someone recently on your phone? Like you're at a sporting event or whatever. You know, you're just out at the marketplace and you want to take a family photo. Have you ever noticed, you know, scientists, uh, scientifically, their statistics will actually show every time you look at a photo that you're in, you look for you first. It's true. Because you're looking like, how did I look? Did I get that right angle? Did I get my good side? Is my hair in my face? Am I not going like that? Like, is my butt like, I'm always about my gut. I'm like, Anybody else take a picture like that? Does anybody else, please don't leave me up here by myself. Does anybody else suck it in? Okay, good. And so, like, you look at yourself, in the, but the problem is, is when you look at yourself, have you ever noticed that when you look at yourself in the picture, you don't see anyone else? 
I was reading my, my uh, I, we have this thing at night where I read to my kids, or my, ki- my wife reads to my kids. And just so you know, I don't do it every night. It's like, you know, you're the pastor, of course. You read the Bible and you pray with them and you like anoint them with oil every night. No, I don't. Sometimes I just say, get in your bed before something bad happens. <laughs> but sometimes we read to my kids. And so I'll read to my kids. And everyone, you know, I'll so sit with my sons. I'm like, hey, I love you, man. You're awesome, amazing. God loves you. You know, everything's great. And so, you know, I'm just reading to them, reading a book. And I, have you ever read to like a five-year-old recently? It's, it's the worst, isn't it? Let's be honest in here. It's terrible. They don't pay attention. They don't know what's going on. They ask you questions about the book that has nothing to do with the questions of the book. I'm like reading to them about, you know, like space, you know, and they're like, what about the stars and the, you know, in the water? There's no stars in the water. What are you talking about? You know, they ask weird questions. And like, so I, the other day, I'm like, like, I'm trying to be a good dad. Like, I'm trying, Father's Day's coming up. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to be Father of the Year. Okay, I'm just trying here. So I'm, my son, let's read a book. So I'm reading a book, and he's asking questions, and he's poking his brother, and then it's, he's talking about other things, and he says, I'm hungry, Dad. It's like midnight. You're not going to eat anything. It's time to go to bed. You just brush your teeth. And then, he's, and then he takes off, and all of a sudden, he's naked. I'm like, how are you naked? Put your clothes back on. And so we're sitting there, and I'm like, come sit back down. And then the other one comes in and asks for some water. Then the other one has to go to the restroom. The other one comes in. There, I got five of them. There is always another one. And so there's another one comes in, and so he's like this, and I'm just, and, and by the time I get done, you know, and, and then what I did was I did the, the parent trick. Y'all know this. I don't know if you all know this trick as a parent. If you're not, and you don't know it, you're welcome. I'm about to give you a, a great piece of advice. So what I'll do is I'll open up the book. I'll read the first two pages. I'll cause a distraction. I flip like six pages. <laughs> oh, look, it's over. The end. You know, it's kind of like a Jesus juke, you know, because I'm a Christian. Anyway, and so, um, and so they, they I, I walked out of the room. And I went to my wife, and I'm like, she goes, you okay? And I'm like, no, it's terrible. And she goes, okay. And the next night, my wife, she's up there. And my wife, it would, I walked by the room, and you would just, it was like glowing almost. She's in there. The kids are quiet. They're peaceful. She's like, and this happened. And she's reading in like King James Version. Everything has a TF at the end of like, and this is Persianeth jumps up with, and they saveth from the castle. Yeah, And they're all sitting down and they're walking and they're walking through it. And she looks like she's having the greatest time in the world. And I'm like, whatever. So I kick the wall and I walk downstairs. She comes down and she goes, and I go, babe, man, you're so good at that. I could, and I said this, I said, you must love it. You must just love to read to your kids. And she goes, are you crazy? Those are your kids. I can't stand it. She goes, but I know that if I read to them every night, statistics show that they're going to be better at their speech. That they'll be able to talk better. They'll be able to do things better. Things are going to be better. And I'm like, and she, she, she sees this. She goes, she sacrifices what? What does she do? She sacrifices for the greater Good. And my, my question to you is, is where has God called you as a mature Christian to sacrifice for the greater good? Maybe you need to turn the TV off and play with your kids. Seriously. You stop like hearing that on a PSA on a TV show, you know, like turn off your go play with your kids for 60 minutes outside. No, maybe you should do it. Nobody likes to do that, just so you know. <laughs> I've never found him, but that's my little goal in life. Kids don't do things the right way. But, 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 but come on, right? Come on. Sacrifice for the greater good. Where is it that you, you, need, to, you need to just clean your house? You need to clean your room? Or you need to just do the dishes? Or you need to just be, maybe you need to stay a little longer at work. Maybe you need to sacrifice for the Maybe you need to walk in. You know, here's one thing you could do as a church follower, as somebody who comes into Rise, maybe you need to sacrifice your preference for the greater good. 
Somebody told me the other day, they go, you know, Pastor, I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if I care for, you know, I can't remember what they were saying. I don't know if I care for that. I don't think I really like that. I go, well, that's, I said, that's interesting. You only got one? I got like 10. Like, even we don't do church the way the pastor wants to do church. We do it based on vision, what God's wanting us to do here, where we're wanting to go. So I sacrifice my preference too. Because why? Because I, I see a greater good. I see a greater potential and a greater movement. Where is God asking you to sacrifice for the greater good? And the last one is this. Spiritually mature people, I'm wrapping it up. They fall well. I want to read this to you. This is interesting. Verse 23. It says, and these three men fell bound. Everybody say fell bound. Into the burning, fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, did we not cast three men to the fire? And the answer said, oh, yeah, it's true, O king. And he goes on. And he says, and he answered, but I see four men bound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt any longer. They're walking. They fell bound. So the point is, is that they fell. They did fall. They fell into the furnace, but they, they're now walking. They fell well. I've noticed this, that with spiritually mature people, they know how to fall well. It's not that they don't fall. Somebody told me the other day, they said, well, you're a Christian. You know, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You're not going to have any issues. That's wrong. That's a misinterpretation of the scripture. It says no weapon formed against you will prosper. It doesn't say no weapon formed against you. It doesn't say a weapon's not going to happen. It means you're going to get attacked. You're going to be on your back one day. They know, but spiritually mature people know that that's not going to be the end. They know how to fall well. I have a, a game that uh, I do with my kids. I raise my kids this way, and I'm going to give you a great uh, you know, game to play with your kids. You're welcome, Dad of the Year, like I said. And so uh, what we do is um, we have a game in our house with my five. Again, I have five boys. I'll, say, I'll sit on the couch, and I say, all right, boys. I say, all right, y'all, run. And they run, and I pick up a pillow, and I see if I can knock them over. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, it's amazing. And so, but what I've noticed about my kids is that um, they're all different ages. I have 11-year-olds all the way down to a little two-year-old, you know, squidget little thing. And he's cool. And he's just starting learning to walk around. And I've noticed that when I throw um, a pillow at my two-year-old who's just learning how to walk, I've noticed that I don't even have to hit him. It could swing by him and a, a slight breeze will knock him over. And when he falls over, he's so dramatic. Like his mom, he, he falls over. He's dramatic. He, it's like, ah. And he falls and he rolls and he's, you know, he's, he's on the ground. And he cries. And he's like looking for attention. And he's like, I, don't, I didn't even hit you. I didn't even hit you. The, the wind hits you, and they freak out. I mean, he's on. Then my five-year-old, you know, I got to be a little more strategic with him. I'll hit him, but I go for his legs, you know. So, he, you know, I get him under his legs, and he falls, and he still has still learning how to get his hand in the right area, right, to fall so he doesn't get hurt. Now, my eight-year-old, he's getting a little more strategic, so I got to hit him with a couple of pillows, you know. I'll get him from the left and then the right, and then I get him like, a, you know, a little two, and I'll knock him over, but he's, you know, he's starting to learn. But my 11-year-old's, my 12 wins, it's getting hard to knock them over with the pillow. Now, when I hit, actually, I have to almost catch them off guard a little bit. And so I'll hit them and I'll try to get them like square in the face. Just boom, you know, just like boom. Just because that's the only way they go down. Because if they see it coming, they'll catch it. And guess what they're doing now? Yeah, they're throwing it back. And I got to be careful because there's two of them and only one of me. And I'm like, oh man, this is, this could be bad. And so I've just noticed that like the, 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 the determining factor, whether or not we become wounded and not just hurt, is how you fall. 
Have you noticed that? And if you're not mature in Christ, have you ever met someone who when they got hurt, they were, it wasn't even, they took an offense for someone else got hit. The pillow flew by them and they were like my two-year-old in Christ going, ah, and they're on the ground writhing and you're like, are you okay? Because they're immature in Christ. And I've noticed, this is just my, can I just give you an insight to as a pastor? I've been pastor since I was 18, almost 20 years. It, it's, it's eerie how I can pick out a mature Christian by how they deal with getting hit. Because the most mature Christians I know can take a pillow to the face from the enemy and literally pick it back up and toss it back at them. They can get hit and it hurts. And they feel it. And they might fall, but they've learned to grab themselves. Come on. Instead of my two-year-old, he can hit his head real easy. Like, it takes a lot to knock my 11-year-old down. And there are some spiritually mature Christians where I just want to be around them. I'm like, man, can you, why are you not on the ground right now? They're like, man, my God's big. I'm like, it gets me fired up. You know what I mean? Like when you get around someone else, like you're not very confident, but you, they're confident. They're so confident. Like I can do, you could do that. Then I can do that. And you can mature each other in Christ. And we need to be a church where like, if something hits us, we know how to pick up the pillow and toss it back. We know how to say, look, that's okay. You can hit me. And look, you might not be the older, mature person, but you need to take a step today to stop being the two-year-old where you get hit and knocked over by everything that comes in the world, where you're up on Facebook and you're calling your mama and you're telling your friends life is terrible and you're stuck in your depression and you're stuck in your anxiety and all these issues are coming at you. Sorry, at some point, you just got to get up. At some point, you just got to be like, look, man, these guys got thrown in fire and they're walking around. The thing that was supposed to kill them wind up bringing them deliverance. The fire broke off the bounds. Come on, that'll preach. Sometimes we see the fire as like the thing that was supposed to kill you. And God says, actually, that's the thing that was supposed to free you. And now you can go do what you were called to do. As long as you're walking with Jesus. You know the best way to respond to, to fall well is to respond. I'm going to close with this thought. Can you and I be a people that respond and not react? The way you fall well in Christ is that you don't react. I've noticed spiritually mature people, they know how to do this. They know how to wait. Responding is this, allowing space from the thing that happened to what you respond with. The greater that space, the better you'll respond. Because I've just noticed people who react and act crazy, they get hit, they punch back. Come on, right? And that's typically an immature idea. It's typically an immature thing. And so my hope is for us as a church, for you as a Christian, is that when you get hit, you respond so that you can fall well. doesn't mean you won't fall. You're going to fall. But you're going to know how to do it well. And if you fall well, it'll actually limit your ability to get hurt. Because I've noticed this, that people who react and not respond wind up hurting themselves more. Have you ever noticed that? Because they reacted, they did something, and they made it worse. Spiritually mature people know how to respond well. I'm going to end with this scripture, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. It says, Jesus said this. This is a looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible. 
my prayer for you and for me is that we see that with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Remember, point back to the Christophany that happened with Nebuchadnezzar inside of the fiery furnace with the four that were in there. They were walking around and one, was look, one looked like a god. And I believe this. If they were alone, they would have died. But they were with Jesus and it allowed them to live. Every issue in your life, if you want freedom, if you want a moment of, you know, if you want to make it through what you're going through, if you want to get up off the mat, get up off your back, some things you're only going to be able to do with God. You're not going to be strong enough. It, doesn't matter, it didn't matter how strong Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they didn't matter. It didn't matter. Because they would have been thrown in the fire, they would have died. But with God, all things are possible. My prayer for you today, my prayer for you today is that you would ultimately, that you would see fire as opportunities, not obstacles. That you would sacrifice for the greater good in every one of your problems. And that in, when something does happen to you, you would fall well. Remember who you represent. You don't represent this church or me or denomination. You represent Jesus. Let's represent him well. Amen.